2: good evening everybody how y'all doing welcome to the show we got a great show planned for you so much to talk about. Uh, Gonna be talking about some parenting behaviors that I think apply to adults. I've been doing a lot of that recently. You know, I've been spending more time sitting with some parenting material, looking at attachment styles and the ways that parents might raise their children, more importantly, the parenting perspective they take because there are different parenting perspectives and I don't even know if a lot of parents know that. Often people just kind of wing it, but there's different styles and they have different strengths and different weaknesses, so I've been looking more into that. But from uh, from the idea that that sets an internal an internal working model, um, but also skills that someone might have enhanced or completely be lacking based on the parental style. So we're gonna talk about that because it shows up in the way that those children then relate to their peers, thereby again, undoing or reinforcing some problematic perspectives on relationships and social functioning, and then we take it into our adult lives. So we're gonna talk about it again through parenting, but it really applies to adults because it's our job as adults to fortunately or unfortunately take responsibility and accountability for the way we've been constituted and decide how to be better. You know, we talk a lot in the research now about intergenerational transmission of trauma, how we pass things along consciously, unconsciously, physically as well. Um, and we see that a lot in Holocaust survivors. Uh, And also victims of other forms of trauma, you know, where we hold it in our bodies, we hold it in our minds, it shifts the way we perceive self and other and future and we pass people along carrying that forward as well. So we're going to talk about that. But I wanted to first open up by talking about non binary identity, it's um, national, international non binary day came and went and I thought, You know, let's kind of dive deeper into it. I had covered it on the show a little bit, but there's some new things that have come out in the news. So I thought like, let's dip back into this. California is now recognizing non-binary identities, not just on official documents like driver's license, which is amazing. We're seeing more of that in different states, but also wait for this one. I think this is such a beautiful final act of respect. California is now going to recognize non-binary identities on death certificates, This is, uh, the we are, uh, California will be the second state in the country to make this groundbreaking move. Again, uh, thank you, you know, Governor Newsom doing some good stuff. This is such a final act of respect for who the person is. And if we didn't do that, who, my God, who, whose needs are we centering at that point? If the person who has passed is not referred to and seen as the person they are, but instead how, what, we legislatively wanna see them, socially wanna see them, it's not about us, right? And so I think that's such a beautiful thing. So I hope we see more and more of that to come. Why? Well, wait for it, because here comes another study that really drives home the importance of this. Groundbreaking new study, shows that over 25%, over 25% of LGBTQI youth identify as non-binary. It's a profound number. And you're going to see the numbers rising and people that are identifying as non-cis and non-hetero uh, for multitude of reasons. One, they're aware of these possibilities. We no longer say to people, ah, boy or girl, straight or gay. We now are actually more honest with all the diverse ways that we can exist. It's kind of like getting frustrated that people now are trying Ethiopian food and Chinese food and Thai food and Greek food. And you're like, what about American and Italian? It's like, well, there's a lot of different flavors and kinds of cuisines out there. Why don't we recognize them and enjoy all of them? And this is kind of the identity politics, right? Of the cuisine world. We don't just watch one genre of film or type of music. We broaden, we branch out, we grow, we expand. Sexuality and and gender identity is the same way. Who we thought we were can shift and change consistently. That's a beautiful thing. My sexuality has shifted and changed throughout my entire life and will continue to as I experience new things and new people and new elements are brought forward or folded in or recede or come to the forefront. It's an active system. And so the non-binary identity, y'all get real familiar with it because that's truth. That's not going away. It's actually a more honest place. Why? Because it's such a bizarre idea that these two categories, male or female, man or woman, are supposed to be big enough boxes to contain the exceptionality and beauty and diversity that all the many billions of people on the planet can be. That was never going to work. And so I'm so thankful we're pushing back on that. Also, it really frees us from the limitations and stereotypes of maleness or femaleness. People don't want to have to be trapped and told, well, based on your presentation or your anatomy, this is how you have to wear your hair. These are the limited fashion styles that are appropriate for you. It just limits our lives. And non-binary identity is not just honest, but it's liberating because you get to be more self, but also more explorative, wearing whatever you want wearing the things you were told that you couldn't, uh, living in ways that you were told you couldn't. I think it's such a beautifully supportive thing. So expect to see uh, more and more of that. When we come back, we're going to take a couple minutes and just kind of clear up uh, some non-binary myths. Um, You know, just kind of bring it back in the forefront. I think it's really important to do that as a way to, normalize and give more people you know the possibility of seeing that they maybe identify that way themselves so um stick around and then we'll be later in the show gliding into those dms so if you got a dm for us drop in the dms on our love line ig page you're listening to love line with dr chris on channel q and on odyssey stick around y'all we'll be back
3: Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Podcast. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash Podcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash Odyssey
2: All righty, we're back and we're talking about the non-binary identity, uh, multitude of reasons. We were just talking about how California now recognizes non-binary identities on death certificates. That is amazing beautiful act of care. Also studies showing that over 25% of people under the gigantic umbrella of the LGBTQIA plus community identifies non-binary and that bad boy is gonna grow. And I'm thankful for it. More and more people are identifying as not straight. More and more people are identifying as not cisgendered, meaning man or woman, diagnosed the way I was at birth and just rolling with it. Why? Because people are bigger than that. They're more than that. They're more complicated than that. They have more beauty and creativity than that. It's a stunning thing. It was very bizarre to think that people are just gonna live within these two options. Well, you have a certain anatomy, so we're gonna tell you you're this one gender and then we're gonna limit what kind of clothing you can wear and what kind of behaviors you can engage in and how you cut your hair and the kind of people you date. It's like, that was so conformist and assimilationist and, and confining. Um, Sex and gender are so much bigger than that. So I thought we could take some time, kind of bust some myths about non-binary identity. So first off, uh, some people might still think that uh, people that are non-binary that don't identify as male or female, or maybe they switch back and forth, explore, uh, that they have gender dysphoria, that that's a pathology. Why do y'all believe that we should be comfortable within these two options and whichever one we're placed into, we should just accept it and roll with it for the length of our lives versus challenging and pushing and moving more into authenticity. Authenticity will always stand outside of two options only regardless of what we're talking about. That's a myth, right? You can be non-binary and have no gender dysphoria, but you can also be non-binary and also at the same time have gender dysphoria. Uh, because we live in a world that's transphobic, right? Very gender phobic and gender anxious. And so we don't have a lot of supports and resources or a lot of understanding. We don't have a lot of role models. And so it's a very fluid, difficult thing for people to sometimes really step into. And so some people might have a discomfort in their identified or assigned gender and others might not. Um, Also, there's a difference for many between a trans identity or a non-binary identity. And what that can mean for some is some feel the need based on who they are to do a medical transition and others don't. Some people just wanna change pronouns, others don't. Some people it's about the clothing they wear, others don't. We can't define someone's gender by looking at them. It's kinda what it really lands on. Um, People might perform a certain gender one day and change it the next day. Some people don't identify with any of those concepts. Um, And more importantly, it's just about meeting people where they're at. But don't assume that someone who identifies as neither male or female or changes their mind, that that implies that there's a, a medical transition coming at some point. I think the beauty in where we live now with gender is that people realize that they don't have to have their body aligning in the most stereotypical normal ways with whatever gender they identify as. And there's a time where someone, if they were dysphoric or uncomfortable with their maleness or femaleness, that the understanding was, well, then you must be this other opposite and your body should align with that and that change should be made. And now people are realizing none of it has to be aligned. None of it has to be seamless and perfect. And none of it has to be a final decision. Again, mental health is about authenticity and liberation. Mental health is not about confining yourself, limiting yourself, right? Or, or living within, um, I guess, these conformist ideals, uh what else can we say that we should be busting uh pronoun use is another one we can't make assumptions based on how someone looks to us as to what their pronouns are and that's why people are putting them out in their profiles and emails as a way to draw attention to the idea that this is a thing to pay attention to and we should be asking people before we assume what pronouns do you use and we should be saying that to literally everyone because you never know based on how they look what pronouns they might use. And that's also how we, remember we talk about ending the closet, make getting rid of it so there's nothing to come out of. We do that by not assuming everyone's straight until told otherwise. We say to people, are you dating someone? Do you have a partner? We use these neutral terms, right? What genders? Do you, what gender pronouns do you use? Um, let's see what else. Uh, kind of covered that, all right. So we kind of covered the bulk of them. Um, and what I really want you to, I guess, walk away with for those that this is new or unfamiliar, a lot of my listeners maybe themselves are non-binary or they have familiarity around this, is that it's completely a healthy, that it's completely appropriate, that we want to be supportive and allies, and that means letting people tell us who they are, not defining it for them. Uh, we have to believe them. We have to listen. We have to be willing to go on that journey. I realize for some people it's confusing, um, but it's not about you. Like, I guess maybe that's the landing point. It's not about you. It's about someone else's mental health. It's about someone else moving through the world, feeling respected and cared for. And that's a hard thing to do in our world. Um, We're always told we have to be different. We have to be better. We have to be other. It's really hard for us to love ourselves. There's so many industries that make money and are built on us not liking ourselves. The fitness industry at times, the diet industry for sure. Um, Beauty industry where we're battling things that can't be battled like aging, You know what I mean? We're just not allowed to be ourselves. We're not allowed to just evolve into who we're meant to be. We're constantly supposed to be fighting and trying to be attractive, right? Attractiveness is such a socialized center point that we're supposed to always be as attractive as possible. You know what I mean? It's exhausting. (laughs) And also remember, and this comes up with um, other, you know, exploited marginalized identity, um, uh, I guess just identities is the way to say it, is you never know who you're talking to. You never know who's hearing you you might be very vocally problematizing the existence of non-binary individuals. And maybe your child who's listening or your neighbor or your friend, maybe they themselves or someone they love or care about is non-binary and they're gonna remember and know and they've just learned that you're not safe. And even if they are cisgendered and they are male or female, they are in the binary, you still might be communicating to them that you're not a safe space for them to share something else with you that might be outside of the standard. Because again, in you shaming or traumatizing non-binary identity, you're also kind of saying I'm not really an ally for people living their true selves. So you never know who's listening. You know, your child might need to know that it's okay or your friend or your neighbor, and so also know that. It's not always just about the exact person in front of you. Uh, we don't always know who's around us. And uh, we're trying to build a better world for everyone. That's how we, everyone claims to be a mental health advocate, well that's part of it. Step it up then, you know what I mean? It's about it has to include everyone, right? All right, we're gonna take a little break. Uh, if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline NG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline. As always, over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and on Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, so I was kind of teasing this um, early in the show and we're gonna spend some time talking about... Uh, how do you explain this? Uh, basically, It's ways that parents might parent their children, norms that they might internalize in their child that uh, show up later in life as adults as well. And kind of gets in the way of someone having the most functional, healthiest relationship. So although we're using the entry point of parent relating to child, this applies to everyone, because you might have been one of those children who is raised in some of these not ideal ways. And this isn't to be parent shaming. People are doing the best they can generally. This is about us trying to be better, trying to identify where the work is, or looking at where the wound is and saying, wow, I was a child of that. And I see how I perpetuate that now as an adult in my adult relationships, or maybe even with my own children, thereby intergenerationally transmitting and pushing this forward? How can I stop this? And that's really powerful work when someone says, I want to be the generation or the person in which this stops or already in these relationships saying, I don't want to keep this going. I want to kind of let that ball fall. So these are some toxic behaviors that parents engage in most of the time without even realizing it. Because parents I work with, I'll say to them, well, what kind of parenting style are you going to be using? And sometimes it's crickets. And it's like, well, there actually are styles. Um, just like when you're cooking, there's cuisines. Are you doing more Italian, more Asian? Because that helps direct what kind of flavors or spices or um, what's the word? Materials? Material ingredients. What kind of ingredients you might use? Parenting's the same way. <clears throat> when in doubt, right? When we're at our worst or we're struggling or we're feeling lost. Having a parenting style is a gra- an anchor, it's a touchstone, it's something to come back to. It's a lens through which to try to decide how to be. And I, and I really advocate for everyone studying some parenting styles, finding one, you don't have to adhere to it purely, but it gives you a sense of how to be better, uh, perspective through which to try to analyze some of these things. Otherwise you're winging it and life is hard and we're not always at our best and we don't always know how best to handle something. And so having a chosen parenting style kind of starts to direct that. And so we're gonna talk about some of them. The first one, wait for it, is something that's very common and it's yelling. Yep, every parent yells sometimes. <clears throat> and part of good parenting is sometimes failing and letting down our children and letting them see that people that love you and care about you will sometimes let you down. But look, I'm still here and I still love you. Children need to see disruption and then repair so that they can feel familiar and comfortable with it and also know how to do it. Raising a child perfectly is actually a failure. We want children to be able to struggle. We wanna struggle with them in our relationship with them and show them that we can fight and still love you. We can let you down and still love you. You can disappoint us and still love you. So that's natural. but. Constant yelling is just dysregulation, and it does damage, right? Because what it does is, it doesn't help your child understand how to self-regulate, and it normalizes that. It normalizes when frustrated, you'll see me get dysregulated and yell. And what's interesting is parents will often be yelling at a child that's yelling or dysregulated, and they themselves aren't able to regulate, but expect the child of age four or eight or 12 or 16 or 20 to do what they can't as a 20, 30, 40 or 50 year old. And so there you are, unable to regulate yourself, but expecting that of someone who's younger, who's supposed to learn that from you, but they're not able to be taught that by you because you can't even do it. I mean, that was a mouthful. I hope you understood what I just said. So you don't wanna normalize. You don't wanna be offering that as a skill. You don't wanna make that acceptable. Unfortunately, parents, you have to be better than this little child can be before you. And now how does that translate into adulthood? Well, a lot of the adults I work with that have a very short fuse and think yelling is acceptable or go to it easily were raised in families where that's what was offered to them. They weren't really presented with a lot of other ways to deal with conflict, letdown, or disappointment. It's kind of all they know. And then they're with healthier partners Right, that might have been raised in a better dynamic and they're thinking, wow, this is really scary, this is really overwhelming, why do you think this is okay? And they're shocked. So you need to work on doing whatever you need to do to calm down, get that energy and tension out of your body and refocus because we can't expect children to do what we as adults are not ourselves able to do. And that's why it's funny when I'm watching a parent totally dysregulated yelling at a child who's dysregulated yelling telling them you know, to quiet down or whatever it is. And it's like, wow, you can't even do that. And you're supposed to be the one showing them how to do it. You should work on that first. And that's why I think before we get into relationships or before we have children, we should really get into some therapy and look at what are the things that I do? What are my tools? What are my coping mechanisms? What are my ways of being relational that I need to work on so I don't pass that along? Because children can become a complication added to their life. And so I work with some amazing couples that are like, look, we've decided we want to work on getting pregnant or i become pregnant. We want to get into some couples work and really look at what are the things we need to resolve or get better about or manage more so as to not take into our child's life, excuse me, our child's life. Life. I can't even conjugate that word. Um, so like, look at that. If you're a single person or someone who wants to be a parent, really take it seriously. When we enter someone's life in any form as friend, as colleague, as boss, as parent, as lover, we impact the mental health of the person on the receiving end. You're responsible for that. I don't, I don't, no label. You can't be like, oh, I'm just their friend. I'm just their boss. Oh no, you're responsible. It's called ethics. You impact people. Be better. We gotta take a break. We're gonna come back and glide into those DMs, but then afterwards we'll come back and keep talking about this. So stick around. Listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. All right, we are back, and uh, it's time to glide into those DMs, brought to you by Astroglide.
1: Gliding into the DMs.
2: Well, this one's a real long one, so uh, hang in there. Hang in there with me. I'm going to try to track all this. Hey, Dr. Chris and Loveline, my name is Justin. I've had this friend, Ryan, for about five years. We don't live in the same area. We're about 300 miles away, but we've always maintained a friendship. There's 100% chemistry between us, but we're usually always dating other people. So now, after all this time, we're both single. And I'm actually moving a lot closer to where he is next month. Bam, magic's about to happen. Some sparks are gonna get flying there, buddy. So naturally, we've been flirting a lot. All right. But sometimes, he doesn't respond. Womp, womp, uh-oh. Or sometimes, I feel like I'm putting in way too much effort. Then you are. (laughs) Like, here's where, again, I'm always about us recognizing the truth of what is. It's not, what do I do? It's, am I looking at what is and and making meaning out of it? If someone doesn't respond sometimes, that means they're either not as interested as you are, or they don't want as much closeness and connection as you do. If you text someone every day and they respond every other day, they're telling you, I want to to be connected to every other day. This is my normal habit and pattern. And we have to decide if that works for us. Because often people enter my office thinking, how do I make them respond or act the way I want? They might say, well, I text every day. How do I get them to be more available? And I say, you don't. They're showing you how they date. They're showing you the level of closeness and communication they want. Does that work for you? How's it feeling? And if it's not working for you, you're not feeling great, go. Go. It's not right. It's not compatible. But people enter thinking, I'm going to change them, or I'm just going to get into it anyway and feel bad, even though we have different needs. Not smart. I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm presenting as a little more black and white than it is. Clearly, there's more complexity and nuance than that. But we need to stop trying to change people. And we need to just look at who they are, how they communicate, and say, is that what I want to step into? Does that work for me? They don't. You're not more correct than they are, but people will think that. Right, That somehow, if you wanna connect more or see them more often, that somehow you're more right and that their distance or space is somehow wrong. And it's like, no, you're not compatible. If you can't find peace in that space, you're not compatible. It's gonna be a rough road. So anyway, you've been flirting, sometimes doesn't respond. That's right, he's got other priorities at times. If that works for you, you're good. If not, then you're not. Sometimes you put in too much, you're putting in too much effort. Back to your question though, you said, I just kinda of wanna know where he stands. He's showing you. That's the whole point of what I'm making. That's the whole point I'm making is he's showing you where he stands. I want to be this present in your life. I want to be this close, as close as how often he responds. That's where he stands. Everyone makes it about do they like me or not? Yes, he likes you, but he doesn't want to be as close or as connected or as consistent as you do. So you're asking the wrong question, right? Uh, Back to what you said. Uh, You said, I just kind of want to know where he stands because I think I'm pretty clear about where I stand. Right. You both like each other. It's about compatibility around how often and in the ways you communicate. You say, I also want him to know that regardless, our friendship will never change. Great, show him that by continuing to be his friend. Uh, I guess I'm just afraid to share my feelings in case they leave or take it the wrong way. Is there an easy way to bring this all up? No, there's no easy way. You have to go into your anxiety and bring it up. Whenever someone says, is there an easy way? The answer is usually no. You have to step into your anxiety, which means you're truly being intimate, is mandated and say, hey, I like you. But again, I think you're asking the wrong questions. I don't think it's about does he like me? I think it's about can you tolerate the amount of space or distance he wants? We make an assumption that if someone isn't reaching out as much as we are, that it must mean they don't like us as much, and that is not the case. Just because someone doesn't want to talk to you every single day doesn't mean they're not interested. Some people don't want that don't want that much closeness. I don't want to talk to anyone every day. But that doesn't mean I don't like my partner or my friends. It just means I don't like that much attachment. So we have to get better about understanding the actual problem or issue. This this dude likes you. It's just you guys have different ways of communicating. And if you can't meet him where he's at, it is not a match. So you have to go and struggle with that. All right. We got to take a little break. When we come back, We're going to be talking about parenting. That's right. We're going to talk more about parenting, about the things that apply to everyone, apply to everyone. But we're going to look at it specifically, we're going to continue to through the lens of parenting and what. All of these different ways of being early in life lead to later in life as adults, which I, in my office, wind up helping people tackle and try to clean up. So there it is. All right, y'all. Uh, we'll be back. So stick around. You are listening to A Love Line with Dr. Chris, brought to you by AstroGlide. We'll be back.
1: Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by AstroGlide.
2: All right, we're back and we're talking about poor parenting. <laughs> this isn't uh, to blame parents. It's a very difficult job and parents can only do the best they can based on the way that they were parented and the way that they've socialized and the kind of relationships that they're in, which again is on a larger global scale. While I'm always saying be very thoughtful about what you're bringing into someone's life as you enter people's lives in different contexts, because we impact them. We make things easier, harder. We reinforce things. Now, if you want to date, work on yourself, know that your mental health (laughs) matters, and that you're going to impact your partner if you're a parent and you want to have kids or you already do you need to be working on your mental health because you don't want to you know, transmit your children some of your shortcomings and failings that your parents passed along to you. Like we have to stop pushing these things forward, and we need to do it in our dating and romantic and marital lives. We have to do it in our friendships. We also have to do it in our parent-child relationships, colleague to colleague, boss to employee. Some people think some of these things don't really matter. I even say to professors, I'm like, look, these students' mental health, their mental health is impacted by the way you relate to them in class and around assignments. Like it matters. We need to be a lot more relational. But again, we're so toxically individualistic that we only think about ourselves and worry about ourselves. We don't really take into account how we impact others. And parenting is a really powerful one. So before the glide into those DMs, we were talking about yelling and how a parent needs to, in the very least, learn regulatory skills to be able to be anchored and self-regulated so as to be chill when a child can't be and children are not supposed to be they are not born knowing how to regulate. It's called co-regulation. We are taught to regulate via those around us and then we learn how to do it on our own. But as adults, we still get co-regulated with our friends and our loved ones and our partners. That's a healthy thing. We want to have access to others that can help soothe us when we can't soothe ourselves. But like parents, you're a ground zero for that. If you can't chill out and you have a temper, your child's gonna be on the receiving end of that. Work on that. And if you can't, take a pause. You're not ready to parent. I'm sorry, you're not even ready to date or be friends with someone if you have a temper or you don't have good coping skills or you tell it like it is or you're dysregulated or you don't deal with frustration well. You're not safe in anyone's life. And I think that's why I always push back when someone's saying, I have a lot of work to do. I'm not ready to date. Dear God, if you're aware that you have so much work to do that you will negatively impact someone by dating them, you shouldn't be hanging out with your friends either because you're impacting them too. Why does that not matter? Why do we only worry about impacting this magical person we might date? And it's too soon, I'm not ready. But yet you got kids or you have friends. Like, uh, they're on the receiving end of that mess too. Let's let's work on that as well. Something else we have to worry about. Now this is something that's a little more specific to parent-child, and again, I'm saying we can broaden this. And this might be something that a friend does based on one friend versus another. But this comparison, and that's what some of the research brought up. Some of the problematic ways of being is when parents compare their kids. This one does this, why can't you be like this one? And I say this over and over and over again, and I'll remind you all right now, we have this thing called psychology. We all have a different psychology and that means we all have different needs. I don't care what one person can do, that doesn't mean you can assume everyone else can. Just because one student's able to blah, 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 or all 95 of them are, that doesn't mean that they all have that same expectation placed upon them. We all have different needs. And I get it. It's very hard to accommodate everyone's different traumas, social style, attachment style, neurological differences, but everyone has different needs. It's not about equality where everyone gets the same thing. It's about equity, which means everyone gets the accommodations that they specifically need based on who they are. If someone's shorter, yeah, they might need a freaking booster seat or something to see over something. It can't be like, well, sorry, everyone's expected to just stand on their two feet and be able to have a view of what we're looking at. If someone's shorter, we give them something to raise them up. It's called equity, not equality. Not everyone gets the same thing. And with parenting, it's that, that's gotta be in there too. Each of your children are different. They have different genetics, different neurologies, different forms of socialization, different social interactions which have impacted who they are and how they see the world and what's possible, right? Parents relate to each child differently. That's not bad. Let everyone be different, different expectations. So don't compare. And don't do that with friends or partners. It doesn't matter what your ex-wife or ex-boyfriend did or was able to do. The new person standing before you is a different person and they need to have different expectations upon them. Remember that. But we often you know, try to assume, well if one can do it, they all can do it. No, that's not how psychology works. That's not how physical health works either. We all have differing abilities just because one kid or one person's able to make the basketball team doesn't mean we all should be able to. Are you kidding? Right. Um, and this kind of goes into very beautifully the next one. And this is something I think that we all need to be aware of within all of our relationships again as well, which is labeling. Right. We want to be very thoughtful about not labeling someone as something because we're all more than one thing. We're all a lot of different things. And as much as we might be one thing, we also very much can embody and live the opposite of that at times. And often who we are is in re- is in, is determined by the context we're in and who we're responding to. I'm different with my patients than I'm with my best friend than I'm with my parents because they bring out a different part of me. I relate to them differently and they're all me. And one downside or one problematic behavior that I might use with one person, I might apply it differently to someone else because of what they bring in, because of what we co-create. So I want to be very thoughtful about labeling, but also because it can become self-fulfilling where they only live in those ways. They align in those ways, right? Labeling can become determining and it limits what people might feel is capable or is, is possible for them or what they're capable of. If you tell someone they're not smart or the sciences are just not for you, that might hold them back from ever trying and realizing that, no, sometimes it isn't and sometimes it is. We got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to keep talking about this Uh Ways that parenting styles show up as adults. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back, y'all. Stick around. All right, we're back and uh, talking about all these different parenting styles, but more importantly, failures <laughs> of parents and uh, not blaming parents at all, right? These things are transmitted from those around us, those above us, those before us. It's about breaking these cycles, studying a little bit, doing some reading on different parenting styles, what are better ways of you know, relating to children, especially because some of the old ways, we no longer engage, we know better now. Uh, I'll get into that some other time. But One of the things we were just talking about is labeling, how when you tell someone who they are, like, oh, you're great at math, you're not, but you're not good at art, or you're not athletic. Well, that's not always true. That's never true. No one's always good at something and always bad at something else. There's gonna be exceptions. And we want people to be able to step into those exceptions. We don't want people to have it determined for them. You're just not good at math. Well, then they stop trying or they just assume that and they internalize that. And that's not true. That's an unfair limit. So be very thoughtful about how you define or label someone. Just like we're not talking about people's bodies anymore and discussing their weight loss, their weight gain, because we're not trapping them in the idea that their weight matters or that they always need to be desirable and we're not health policing we want to apply that to i guess talents and limits and that comes up again this is about parent and child but it applies to everyone this whole idea that in school early on we're set up as the athletic kid or the smart brainy science kid and it's like none none of those are true we can be both and more and it can change we're one year we do really well in science because of the context because we like the people in the class the teacher's good and then the next year the opposite like it's not as simple as you are this or you're not this right and that's when we talk even about like gender and sexual fluidity what you felt made sense or who you were at one point is allowed to ebb and flow and change down the road as well it's allowed to keep flipping uh hold space for that i was i yeah a lot of times in my life i was led to believe i wasn't very academic or smart and then at some point i realized that that was something i excelled and enjoyed and i stepped back into that but i had to step out of these labels and assumptions that were made about me early on so be very thoughtful about that because we do that even as adults to other adults That's the quiet friend. That's the fun friend. Well, no, that's the quiet friend sometimes in some contexts around some people. You know what I mean? But it can become very self-fulfilling and limiting. People will really step into and live out these labels. So be very thoughtful because children can carry them forward, living in it, having it reinforced by others, taking on and using those labels as well. Um, Another good one, quieting emotions. You know, part of good parenting and being a good partner to a friend or a loved one is Helping them sit in and feel their feelings deeply and fully, not pulling them up and out of it. Not saying, you can feel that, but you can't feel that. Those are good emotions. Those are bad. And that's why I get frustrated when I hear people say, that's too negative. Well, sometimes things are crappy and we have to be able to talk about them. It's okay to be negative. Sometimes things are. The goal is not to always be happy. That is not mental health. That's a lie. That's denial. Bad things will happen. Frustrating things will happen. Feel it deeply. Feel it fully. You're allowed to live in it. You're allowed to talk about it. You're allowed to be a complete pessimist all the time if you want. There's no rule or law that we have to always be optimistic. Sometimes some people live in lives that there is nothing to be optimistic about. I'm sorry to say that, but there are some people living in some contexts and some geographic locations in the world where things are just pretty freaking crappy and complex all the time. And pessimism is very reasonable. It's also very reasonable to be pessimistic when we look out at the fact that we live in a very homophobic, white supremacist, capitalist, consumerist culture that really values profit over people. That there are businesses that are telling people to go back to the office when it's not safe because they wanna make more money off their labor. That's gross. We dehumanize people all the time. It's, it's very understandable that some people have a very poor outlook or pessimistic, you know, perspective on what's happening around us. You know what I mean? So, like, we have to allow that. We want to allow people to be where they are and to feel what they're feeling. So we don't want to tell people happy is good, joy is good, you know, sadness is bad, frustrations bad, disappointments bad. Because that's just not true. It's not honest. But more importantly, it's not mentally healthy. Let people be bummed out when they're bummed out, sitting it with them, you know? we want to have access to a full range of emotions but we've talked about this where there were some studies done that it was very much even gendered where children were led to believe by very young ages in these experiments and research to believe that men can only feel these few emotions and women have access to a lot more but that it was gendered that's not honest that's not healthy it's also not fair But we also apply that to people where anyone feeling something bad or negative, we always think we have to get them out of it immediately, they need to not feel that, and we're gonna shame having to be around it. But it's often in sharing those heavy, dark, broken parts of ourselves that we actually really feel seen and heard and build intimacy. And some people do live in difficult lives where it is honest for them to feel that way, right? And then finally we land with the you you always blah blah blah, you never blah blah blah, or you're making me blah blah blah. Kind of goes back to the earlier stuff about labeling and defining who a child is. And as an adult, as a parent, you're expected to be better, right? So you can think about specific behaviors that you think your child would be better off without or needs to work on, right? But make it about the behavior, not about the person. You know what I mean? Because we really want them to be able to identify certain behaviors in themselves and in others. And if we just make it about them as a person, they can't do that. Because remember, part of us trying to be mental health centered, and I love that, I feel like everyone has mental health advocate somewhere hashtagged on their profiles these days, but then live it, which means let people be their true authentic self. It means sit in some of these darker emotions. I see some of these influencers, God bless them, I think your heart's in the right place, but you're not a mental health professional talking about Staying positive, finding the silver lining. That's not mental health centered, actually. That's shaming truth and reality. That's shaming people that are struggling. Mental health is not about always smiling and feeling good, right? Sometimes things are bad and we have to be able to drop down in that and feel that. Mental health is about going in, right? Not saying that certain things are okay to feel and others aren't. And that starts very early on. And it, like I said, it's gender. Let boys cry. Let boys be sad. Let boys be vulnerable. Let, let boys be weak. Also, let girls be powerful. Let girls be strong. I still have clients that are saying things like, oh, I want to be more like a girl. And then they use these stereotypical terms. And it's like, oh my God. Everyone has access to all the same emotions, but we have to get familiar and comfortable with them. That's the work. Um, let's do better. Let's be better. All right, we got to take a break. We'll be back. And then we'll be... Later in the show, closing out by gliding back into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, dropping the DMs on our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. We'll be back. All right, we're back. And we've been talking all night about different elements of parenting, right? And looking at how we take that forward into our adult lives and how can we stop that when we're parenting children or just as adults relating to others. Because... Our mental health is determined by all the different relationships we're in and those people's mental health. And we wanna take seriously how others are impacting us but also how we're impacting them. It's an open system. So what are some of the signs um, that you have done this work as a parent? Like what can you look to behaviorally to be like, wow, I've, I've stopped a lot of these traditional problematic things. Uh, first off, you don't spank your children. We very much, not that long ago, we're in a culture where we thought fear punishment, violence was a way to help uh, control a child. But now we're realizing we're not trying to control children. We're not trying to discipline them. We're trying to help them learn self-regulation, right? How to calm down. And we have to be calm to show them that. And we sit with them. We don't just scream or spank or take their phone away or send them to their room. They are taught nothing actually. All they were taught is to be afraid of you. There was no skill handed down and you're just trying to get them quiet down the moment. You're not actually thinking on a broader scale. So if you don't spank your children, if you don't raise your voice to your children, if you don't punish your kids, you're starting to do that work of helping them learn co-regulation, right? Um, Also, if you let your child feel all of their feelings, you help them learn how to express them appropriately But you let them feel them. You let them understand, yeah, sometimes disappointment happens. Be disappointed. Not, you're fine. Shake it off. It wasn't yours anyway. We'll get another one tomorrow. That is dismissing. That's not helping them learn how to sit in a feeling and process it and talk about it. And think about what you're doing when you do that. You're just trying to not have to feel it yourself. You're making it about you. Like, I don't wanna really sit in this or feel this, so I'm gonna just push you through it and try to get over it so that we can just move on. Move on to what? Like, what are we rushing off to? Where are we going, right? Um, You're more flexible, you're more fluid, you're not as rigid, you listen. Again, these are signs that you've kind of done that work to break these patterns. Um, Whatever your parents did that you didn't enjoy or felt violent or punishing, you don't perpetuate that. You have conversations instead of screaming and punishing. You actually talk to your child, right? Uh, You don't criticize, you work on accepting and saying my goal is to help my child be the best version of who they are meant to be and who they are, and sometimes that might be not what I wanted or what I hoped for, what I'm comfortable with, but I support them and celebrate them anyway. That's called being a good parent. If your your child's trans, you become a trans ally, and I hope you are anyway, you know what I mean? Same thing with the child being gay or whatever it is we're talking about. What else? Uh, We talked about that, giving them attention, prioritizing them, being a safe space. Some parents say, and some partners say, why won't my partner or my child tell me things? Why do they lie to me? Why do they manipulate? Why do they, because you're not safe. If they can come to you, having done something wrong or bad or let you down and you're calm and loving and set your boundaries and say, that wasn't okay, this is how I feel or whatever, they'll tell you. But if you punish and you go to violence and you're scary and you're not approachable, then they won't approach. So work on that. Um, that's kind of the basics, you know, but that's the work I tell everyone to do wants to be a parent or get into a relationship, look at what you need to work on. And if you can't tell me three things that you need to work on, then I know you're not working on anything and you're just doing business as usual. And we all have some work to do because we want to be good for those that we're in relationship to whatever that is. It matters. That's how we are mental health centered. Everyone's now all mental health centered. And that's great. But this is what the work looks like. You have to be willing to do the work. It's kind of like when we talk about activism. It's not enough to just slap a Black Lives Matter flag on your IG page, or company's website. What are you really doing to dismantle and change those problematic systems and norms? We need disruption. We need change. We need dismantling. It takes action. So if you're not really aware of what you're doing, then you're not doing anything, know what you need to change and start stepping into and initiating those changes. And it's never too late. We can do that even if we've been in a relationship with someone well into their adult years, or we've been married for 40 years. We can still say, I'm gonna start being better. I'm gonna start doing better, right? I'm gonna start making this system healthier. It's a powerful thing, and I work with people doing it all the time. So it's never too late, and it's always doable. You know what I mean? But we don't don't really get a lot of support around that culturally. We have to kind of seek these kinds of messages out, which is why I'm always trying to challenge all to be better. Because if my listeners aren't gonna be better, well then, dear God, no one else is gonna be. Because if y'all are going to spend your nights listening to my mouth yapping about mental health stuff, well, then I got to I gotta, gotta, put all the trust and faith in y'all. The the Dr. D army, you know what I mean? The mental health army that I'm trying to build because we're going into battle. I can't move through the world much without stumbling upon a couple conversations that I just passed by where I'm like, wow, that was so not okay. Yikes. You know what I mean? So um, we all got a lot of work to do, but it's doable. You just have to find the meaning and the worth in it. Um, all right. We're gonna take a break in a minute and uh, we'll be back and we're gonna glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Love on IG page, give us a follow back and uh, whatever you're wondering about, whatever your questions are, someone else might be wondering it too. So drop it in there. Always anonymous and confidential. And if there's a topic you want me to cover, uh, or you want me to drop deeper into and clarify, hey, let us know as well. And past episodes of Loveline, they're always over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, click on it. They're all there. You can binge, post, share, read, listen, and uh, check out some of the other shows. And if you like reading or audiobooks, I got my two books, Rebel Love and Sex Outside the Lines. Both of them are mental health journeys, looking at how to be better relationally, how to work on more body neutrality and body love, also sex positivity and some sex therapy stuff. So um. Check it out. It's good stuff. Uh, but we'll be back. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q and Odyssey. Stick around. All right, y'all, we are back. And now it's time to glide into those DMs.
1: Gliding into the DMs.
2: This one says, oh, these are really long. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, my name is Katie. I have a four-year-old son with my ex-boyfriend. However, about two years ago, I decided that women were my preference and uh, I want to date them. All right, Katie, live your best bisexual, sexually fluid, queer life. Surprisingly, Max was fine with it. Well, cool, but doesn't really matter what he wants or thinks about your sexual preference, but good to know. And we have a better relationship now than we ever did when we were together. Thank you, Katie, because what you're showing again is sometimes we're not meant to be monogamous or romantic or sexual with someone and we don't break up with people. We transition into something else. Now you transitioned into friends and co-parents and you're better off that way. Being friends is the more stable configuration anyway for most people being in our lives. So that's awesome. Um... But you say, the last two women I've been with, they all feel a certain way towards him. Huh, they think we are too close and that he still wants me back. I know that's not the case, but I'm getting really tired of having to convince them otherwise. Is this something I'm always gonna have to deal with? Or are these women projecting? Uh, They're insecure and they're projecting. It's a good sign when people are friends with their exes. And people that are very anxious and insecure and jealous and aren't familiar with healthy adult styles of relating will often find that problematic. Run. It's a red flag when someone is so primitive and elementary that they don't think like an adult and understand that we don't burn things down and we don't have to hate our exes and we don't have to hate the people we're dating's exes. And more importantly, you have a child together. This individual should be very close in your life. He is the father of your child. You are going to be celebrating holidays and birthdays together for the rest of your life. So if these women can't understand that he is the parent of your child and an ex-boyfriend and you still care about him and love him, then boot them out immediately. That is a massive red flag. People grow up. We have to be more mature. We don't kick people out of our lives, nor do we enter someone else's life and tell them to kick people out grow up. We need to have a lot of people in our lives. When we leave lovingly, we keep our exes in our life. I say this all the time on the show, all of my exes are friends of mine. I love them all still, and I would do anything for all of them, and I'm in close contact with all of them. I only date mature, healthy, confident people. And so when I tell people I'm dating that I'm friends with my exes, they smile and go, so am I. And what a great sign. And I say, thank you for being mature enough to understand that. But if someone villainized my exes, said we're too close, that's a red flag that they don't understand relationships. And I I would kick them out immediately. I'd be like, the date ends here. You have some work to do. Be better. Why are you threatened? You know what I mean. If you, the writer of this question, has healthy boundaries, then you're good. Get these women out. This is we're not doing this stuff anymore. You know what I mean? We're we're, we've grown up. We're doing better than these things. We gotta all be better. We all are so threatened. We've normalized this idea that we have to be threatened by all these other things out in the world. Listen, we have eyeballs. We're gonna be attracted to different things and to different people. We can't we can't be so thrown off or threatened by everything. And it is a good sign when people honor a relationship and leave lovingly and leave the door open and stay connected. But more importantly. If someone is co-parenting, yeah, you better learn how to accept that person's presence in their life. And if you can't, you have work to do. You know, we got to be better. This is a mess. (laughs) But keep dating. It's an explorative process. You're going to grow up a little bit as you're dating. You're going to mature through dating. We all have a lot of work to do. I get that we all have baggage. I get that we all have wounding. I get that we all have trauma, but we don't want to take that forward into someone else's life. So if all these things I'm bringing up are hard for you or they're making you anxious, take a break from dating. Work on your confidence. Do some reading. There's really great books on relationships out there. Read my book, Sex Outside the Lines, Rebel Love. They will grow you up and mature you. They will show you what you should be holding yourself accountable to. Keep the bar higher. You know what I mean? Woof. <laughs> we got to do better. All right, y'all. That's our show, though. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to talk about sobriety. Uh, Because in the pandemic, a lot of us have looked at our coping mechanisms and our relationship to drug and alcohol because we're not using the word addiction anymore. We're just talking about our relationship to different things and we're examining it Deeply and honestly, and we're going to talk about tips for those that want to get sober and also talking about ways to maybe focus on harm reduction because complete abstinence is not reasonable, realistic, or the goal of everyone. Sometimes you just need to really work on our relationship to one drug or just to alcohol or whatever it is. We're going to talk about it all tomorrow, though, so stick around and join us. And then, of course, if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs because we'll be gliding back in. Anything you're wondering about, we got answers for you. And um, any topics you want covered, let me know. We'll cover it. All right, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night.
1: Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by AstroGlide. Why?
0: Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this. Why? A lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why?